Well, let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Father, we want to thank you that we've already, in a sense, explored the main point of this sermon in the songs and reflections that we've already considered together as we've gathered. And, we, and so we thank you. We want to thank you for the way that we can approach you, a holy God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his atoning death in our place. And so, Father, I pray as we, we come to these uh, words from Exodus, parts of it which will sound strange to us, that you would grant us insight by your Holy Spirit and that you would stir each one of our hearts that the Lord Jesus may be more central in each one of our lives and that uh, you would make us to be a holy people here in Edinburgh for your praise and glory. So we pray you'd ask, uh, we ask that you'd uh, help me as I preach and, and uh, each person as they listen, Lord, that you would enable us to draw near to you. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles to um, Exodus chapter 11. I'm going to start reading from Exodus chapter 11 and uh, read into part of chapter 12. And that's on page 68 in uh, the church Bibles. Exodus chapter 11. Now, the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, 
and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water but roast it over the fire, head, legs and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both man and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. Do do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses and whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel whether he is an alien or native born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes to the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. 
During that night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough that they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. This is God's word. Thomas told me last week, my son, that um, when I get older and uh, find things a bit tough, he's going to take over for me. And I asked him, why? Why do you want to be a pastor, Tom? He said, well, you get to drink water during the sermon, (laughs) which is a big plus. As many of you know, uh, my family lived in America for over seven years. And uh, living in America for that period of time, you realize that there are certain special days. Johnny Wilson has already hinted at them. On the fourth Thursday of every November, they celebrate Thanksgiving Day, a tradition that goes right the way back to the Pilgrim Fathers, uh, who uh, thanked God for allowing them to make it and uh, have a harvest that would get them through another tough winter as they followed the friendly advice of the Native Americans that they met. And on July the 4th, they have American Independence Day, where they celebrate throwing off the tyranny of British rule and taxation. There are some in Scotland who have sympathy there. That happened back in 1776. Key dates every year. July the 4th, the 4th Thursday of every November. Every year they celebrate these. They, they remind the nation of their identity. By looking back to the past, things that formed them as a people. Well, today we're going to consider the key decisive moment uh, that shaped the nation of Israel. The heart of Jewish identity here, the Passover. To remember their liberation from Egypt, out of slavery, as they headed towards the land that God had promised them. And they remember it just as we have written here with a... Passover lamb and with a week of not eating, um, with, with eating bread without any yeast in it uh, and it reminds them of who they are, it recalls their past, it, it shapes them. So the question is why are we going to spend this time looking at a Jewish festival? What has it got to do with us in a room where really most of us are not uh, Jewish as far as I understand it? 
Well, as Christians, we too acknowledge that these um, Jewish scriptures are God's breathed out revelation of himself. We, we, we come to this word because um, it reveals the one true living God who is still the same God today as he was uh, back there. And we believe with the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, that these scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul speaking of the Old Testament. He says to Timothy, these are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If we understand the Old Testament, we'll understand salvation and we'll understand about Jesus. And that's why we are here today investing this time. Here the God who created all things further reveals his glory in the history of his ancient people. This story of of rescue, of redemption, of liberation, of a people out of Egypt gives us a picture, gives us categories so that we can understand the salvation that the Lord Jesus achieved for us in his first coming. So we dig into these verses because they tell us the truth about God. They tell us the truth about ourselves. They tell us the truth about uh, Jesus and his death upon the cross. As, as we've already considered this morning from our New Testament uh, reading that uh, Johnny did earlier, Jesus, as he was walking towards the John after the day of his baptism, John points to him and to the disciples with him and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're, if you're new to Christian things, if you're not familiar with the Bible, those may sound very strange words to point to a man and say, look, the Lamb of God. Now, how are we to understand what is being said here? Well, it is by an understanding a passage like this in Exodus. This rich account, this historical account, helps us to fully understand the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're about today. And my hope is that it will, in fact, make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's why I've got up here today. And I've got three points, as every good preacher should have when he's got water to drink. Point number one. The wages of sin is death. See, these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were were slaves in Egypt. And and we've been thinking over the past weeks of how Moses was sent by God to Pharaoh to confront him to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh, of course, was contemptuous. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go, Pharaoh said pridefully. I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh's heart was hard as we considered last week because he did not worship the Lord. In fact, he worshipped all the gods and goddesses of Egypt. That's who he served. Who is the Lord was his question. Well, the answer from God is this. Well, watch me. Watch me. I'll, sh- I'll show you who I am. And in each of the first nine plagues, God was defeating the false gods and goddesses of Egypt. And so the, plagues of, uh, the plague of blood really was, was, was God's defeat of the river gods of the Nile. Uh, the locusts defeated the, the gods of harvest. The darkness defeated the gods of of the sun and sky that the Egyptians worshipped. And yet Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. He would not obey God. He would not recognize God. 
And finally, God sends this terrible tenth plague, the worst of all, the death of the firstborn son. This was, this was a battle of the gods and one that God was determined to win. Uh, look at chapter 12, verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, God says, and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And this final plague would achieve God's objective. It would demonstrate that he is Lord over all false gods, and it would give the uh, Egyptians what they deserved. This last plague was justice by a sovereign God. Justice against a nation that had been complicit with its tyrannical leader in enslaving a people for their own economic benefit, of brutalizing them, of terrorizing them in the process. And God had patiently warned them, the nation of Egypt, had patiently warned Pharaoh through Moses to change. He'd given them ample time to turn, but they refused to. And so what they're getting here is justice. Look, look back at chapter 4 and verse 22. The very outset, Pharaoh was told what the stakes would be. As the Lord says to Moses what he's to say before Pharaoh in Exodus 4, verse 22. This is, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. From the outset, God has been very clear what the stakes were. Now, but there may be someone here today, and, and you've got a very low view of God. Uh, maybe you're not sure he exists. Maybe uh, you think, well, if he does exist, he's disinterested, he's, he's, uh, he's distant. And uh, you kind of look around at Christians and the Christian church, and they look rather weak and pathetic. And you think, well, I can't really take God uh, seriously when he's got people that look like this. And maybe you think that you can do what Pharaoh does and simply ignore God. And yet the plagues warn us that we cannot do that. He, he may allow our rebellion for a while. He may allow us to shake our little puny fist at him and say, well, I don't know this God, I don't recognize this God, I don't care for this God. But we must not be in doubt that that will only go for a certain amount of time. He'll only allow us to rebel for a, a certain point. And after that, there will be no doubt who is the winner, who is God. God is a God of infinite love, and yet he's a God of holiness, a jealous God, and he will be shown that he is the one true living God. All rebellion will be put down. And we see that action in the final terrible plague. And so what God does to Egypt here is no surprise as, you've, as you read through the chapters of Exodus. I think what is really shocking, what the big surprise really as you get to chapter 12, is to see how the Israelites were also under great danger of judgment. That's the big surprise in chapter 12. They were just as much in danger that night of Passover as the Egyptians. If you look at verse 23, um, God speaks of going through the land to strike down the Egyptians, and he speaks of the destroyer, not entering certain houses. 
But the point was the destroyer had the right to come into every house in Egypt and kill the firstborn son. They were under the same threat of judgment. Now what's going on here? I I think here is another example of what the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans when he says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When a holy God comes in person to judge sin, who is going to be left standing? Back in chapter 5, after the first setback, the people already started turning on Moses and rejecting God's word through him. And, uh, you know, if you keep reading on, you get to the book of Joshua and read to the end of Joshua, uh, the Israelites were just as guilty of idolatry as as the Egyptians. At the end of Joshua, Joshua says to the people, throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. All that time on, some of them still had their gods kind of tucked away. Throw away your gods. You know, the Israelites were just as much idolaters. God's people were still basically in the same boat as the Egyptians, like all humanity. By human nature, we are sinners. From Adam's willful sin in the garden, his rejection of God's word, every person is born with a sin nature. And sin is a capital offense. And what's clear from Passover night is that the wages of sin is death. Death is the reality that we all face. And after death, it says in Hebrews, we face God's judgment. We are held accountable for our lives. Now look at uh, chapter 11, verse 5. Because when it comes to God, you see, importance will save nobody. It says there, Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl. You see that unimportance will also excuse uh, nobody. The firstborn of the slave girl is kind of the lowest of the low in Egyptian folklore and all alike are under the judgment of God. And so what's really, if you want to look for verses that... um, that are contradictory in the Bible. Well, 11 verse 7 is a contradictory verse. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So here's the problem as we come to the text. All have sinned. All deserve judgment. And God says no one will be excused from the most significant to the least. And yet, actually, you'll notice that Nothing will happen over my people. Well, how is this so? How can God punish the Egyptians for their rebellion against God and not punish Israel, who've also equally rebelled? How how can God uh, act with justice uh, to bring the Egyptians down and, and simply excuse Israel? Isn't that an act of injustice? And the answer is found in understanding the Passover lamb. And that's my second point this morning, the blood of the lamb. Now, to the first-time reader, the, the instructions that God gives the people in chapter 12 seem so strange. Verse 3, take a lamb. Now, they may well have thought that that 
was a very irrelevant thing to do in the light of their slavery and of the many injustices they faced. What has a lamb got to do with their suffering? What has a lamb got to do with their situation? And the answer, of course, is that the lamb is, is the fundamental thing. The, the lamb is the, is, the, is the vital thing. This is where justice will be doled out. This is, this is the way to freedom. This is the way to liberty. The lamb is God's way out of judgment. It was to be a high-quality lamb, and so an expensive one. Verse 5, without blemish. And it was to be kept in the family for two weeks. And as, as a parent with young kids, you can only imagine, you know, everyone loves this little lamb. Fluffy, you know. Uh, two weeks of living with the family. Probably just about got around to naming it, you know. And it was that lamb that would be slaughtered at twilight. That lamb was to be roasted and eaten that night. And the blood of that lamb had to be put on the door frame sides, on the door piece at the top. Blood had to be applied. Now why was this necessary? My friends, this was about substitution. Uh, we're going to talk about things today that, that many people find um, shocking, even amongst Christendom. People don't like this language, but it's, it's, it's biblical language. It's truth. It's wonderful truth. But this is about substitution. The sacrifice of the Lamb is in the place of the firstborn son. The wages of sin is death. But God allows the lamb to be a substitute for the firstborn son of each household. And, and why the application of the blood? Well, there's two reasons given there in, in chapter 12 and verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. The household, and no doubt, the firstborn son uh, would, would be very anxious during that last night in Egypt. But they could remember what had taken place that night, that the lamb had been killed, and that that blood had been put on the doorframe, painted on with hyssop brush. Particularly the son. Say, so, Dad, have you, have you done it? You applied the blood, Dad. Yes, son, come remember, look. See, it's done. And they could be reassured that night that they were covered, that they were protected from a holy God. The, theolog the theological term for this is expiation. Expiation. That the blood shed and applied covered over their sin. And it meant salvation. But the blood was also there for God, as verse 13 continues. And when I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. See, when God sees that there's been a, a substitute sacrifice, when the blood has been applied, God's righteous anger is kind of turned away from that household. The destroyer will not enter because death has taken place. In some way, justice has been served. And the word that the Bible uses for that is propitiation. Propitiation, that God's wrath is turned away and satisfied because of a sacrifice. Now, 
Now these verses show us what great security and safety there is for those who, who sheltered under the blood of the Passover lamb. The Israelites were safe that night. The destroyer could not touch them. But in verse 30, it says that there was loud wailing in Egypt. For there was not one house without a dead person. I mean, that night, what a night. What a dreadful night of judgment. Not one household without a dead person in it. And yet that night, what a wonderful night of salvation for God's people. A night of liberation. This was, this was going to mark their freedom. Verse 31 of chapter 12. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks and herds as you said. And go and also bless me. Pharaoh had been broken. He'd finally been humbled. He knew now who the Lord was. And they left with gold and silver out of Egypt. And central to this is the act of substitution. A lamb in the place of a son. Now this is a key concept in the whole of the Old Testament. You can think back to Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham is told to go and sacrifice his one and only son Isaac. And they, they head up there and as the knife is just about to come down, uh, a voice from heaven says, stop. And God provides a lamb, a ram in the thicket that is the substitute, a lamb for a son in the place of the son. And then here we've got a Passover, a lamb for a household. And if we were to read on to the book of Leviticus, we would see that uh, on the Day of Atonement, a lamb or a goat would be there in the place of a nation. God provided a way by which the sins of the whole people could be blotted out as a sacrifice was offered up in their place. But it's only in the New Testament that we find a lamb that was to take the place for the whole world. And John puts his finger and points at that man and he says, Look! Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, all of this, all this was a, a picture to point to the one, the only one who could really remove sin. All of the lambs that had been killed, thousands, millions of lambs in the history building up the point, were all a huge object lesson for the perfect Lamb of God. And this is how the New Testament speaks of the wonder of what Jesus achieved over and over again. It, it turns back to the language of Exodus. Turn with me just for an example to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Jesus is before Pilate, the day of his crucifixion. And uh, just look at uh, John chapter 19, which is page 1087. And just look down that the, the time marker is put there for us in verse 14. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. And John is flagging up to us that Jesus died on the day of the preparation of the Passover, on the very day that all these Passover lambs were being killed. And look at verse 31. Jesus is being crucified. 
And because it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, the Jews didn't want the bodies left hanging on the cross during the Sabbath, so they asked Pilate to have the legs broken, which would bring each of the lives dramatically to an end, and the bodies taken down. And it records how the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified, verse 32. And then verse 33, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And look down at verse 36. These things happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. Now where's that from? From Exodus chapter 12. And verse 46 where God commands that that Passover lamb, not one bone of that lamb should be broken. Time and time again, the New Testament makes the link clear. Think of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Our lives were forfeit because of our sin. We deserve the judgment of God. But Christ, our Passover lamb, has died instead. And now God is able to pass over us. And, and we can... Um, we don't receive the judgment we deserve, but instead forgiveness. And we can be freed from our slavery to sin and be brought as pilgrims who head towards the promised land of heaven. But we should see and note that uh, as we look at back at Exodus, that God will not pass over us automatically because Jesus died all those years ago. This is not an automatic process. What did they need to do to be saved from God's wrath? They had to believe what God promised. And God says, if you take a lamb, and kill it, and apply the blood, then you'll be saved. They had a promise. A promise of salvation. But they had to believe it. And they showed they believed it by doing that very thing. Sacrificing the lamb. Applying the blood. You know, this is true for our salvation. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. But the salvation he achieved only becomes ours by faith in the promise of God's gospel. We, we need to be those who, who, who put our trust in the Lamb of God. Put our lives under uh, the protection of his blood where we, where we come to him and trust him. The, the English Standard Version Bible uh, correctly translates the original language that you find in Romans 3. And it says, it completes a verse we've already considered. Let me read it to you. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's the great verse of encouragement. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. My friends today, have you come under the blood of the Lamb? Have you received by faith this gift of forgiveness? This gift of salvation? Have you grabbed hold of Christ who takes the punishment for our sin? And if you haven't done that today, do it today. Call out to him. 
You know, your prayer only needs to say something simple. Something, something simple like, sorry, thank you, please. Sorry that I've sinned against you. Thank you that Jesus, the perfect one, died in my place. And please forgive me and change me so I can live for you. Sorry, thank you, please. And you too can come under the blood of the Lamb and know that you will not face the wrath and judgment of God. Uh, Our brother Ian Leach was sitting up there last week. He didn't know that he was going to have two massive heart attacks. In speaking to Morag, of course, the wonderful thing about Ian is he's been under the blood of Christ all these many years. Oh, he, he, he's not anxious for what would happen. He's trusted Christ. What of you? Have you trusted Christ? Trust him today. And my third point here in these verses is the importance of remembrance and identity. Um, if we take the time to read on, especially into chapter 13, we'd also see that this passage is full of commands to remember. In fact, more time is almost given to the um, command to remember the event than the actual event itself. Uh, look at chapter 12, verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And, and they were to remember it in at least three ways. That they were to annually repeat this sacrifice of the lamb, the killing of the lamb, in verses 24 to 27. So if you look at verse 26 there. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the house of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Secondly, they were to remember it in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. During the week of the Passover, they were to eat bread without yeast and uh, to fail to take that command seriously was very serious. And we don't have time to explore all of that, but uh, it's probably another sermon in itself. But uh, it, it was because the people knew that they would have to hurry out of the land. They wouldn't have time for the bread to rise. And so every year that they would eat unleavened bread, they would remember that time. So 13 verse 8. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And thirdly, they were to regard their firstborn sons and their firstborn livestock as belonging to God. Throughout the whole year, they were to remember the Passover in this way. If the animals produced its first male, then it was considered as belonging to God. And it had to be sacrificed to God as a reminder of the death of the firstborn. The only exception of that was the donkey. Um, Because a donkey was unclean, that, that wasn't wanted as a sacrifice. And so, um, verse uh, 13, chapter 13, verse 13. Um, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. If you want to keep the, 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 the donkey, then redeem it with a lamb. But if, if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons, it says. So, throughout the year, there is this reminder... When a human son was to be born into a family, God doesn't approve of human sacrifices. He's a bit like the donkey. He's considered unclean. Interestingly, that's a, worth, worth thinking about. 
The firstborn son needed to be redeemed by the death of a lamb as well, in an ongoing way. Which, of course, is exactly what we see Mary and Joseph doing as they come to the temple and meet Anna and um, uh, Simeon. The Israelites were always to be reminded uh, of this event. They were to always remember the events of the Exodus. Look at chapter 13, verse 14. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. You see that the son is included in that, and the son's sons. He brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's a brilliant education technique, isn't it? Every year, they get to know Fluffy the lamb, and, and dad slits its throat, and the kid says, why did you do that? That explains because of Passover, because we were redeemed out of slavery. God saved us. He rescued us. We belong to him. And then there's a change of diet for a week. It's all tough bread. And they say, Dad, why do we have to eat this bread? It's because of Passover. Brilliant education technique. It's a reminder, too, that uh, we are to teach our children as Christians. We're not to uh, rely on Sunday school alone, uh, certainly not rely on uh, the education we get out um, in the community, we are, as parents, supposed to teach and instruct our children about the Bible, about the gospel. You see, in a sense, here's an event that they were never to forget. Here was an event that defined them, that was part of their identity. They were blood-bought, redeemed people by the blood of the Lamb, and they were never to forget it. My friends, that is true for us as Christians. We are blood-bought, not with the blood of lambs and goats, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We we are a redeemed people, a holy people, a blood-bought people, a people to be separate, a people for the praise and the worship of God. In fact, the whole of our lives should be dominated by the gospel. The gospel should be absolutely at the center of everything we're about. In every area of our life, we should be thinking about how it relates to the gospel. Because here is our prime identity. We are the redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, this is who we are. And of course, it culminates as Jesus on the eve of Passover gathers his disciples together. And um, he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he takes this Passover they'd celebrated for over a thousand years. And he changes it. He takes the bread, unleavened bread, instead of saying this is the bread of the affliction which our fathers had to eat as they came out of Egypt. He took the bread, he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Takes the cup. This is the, the cup of my blood poured out for you. A, a new covenant in my blood. It's not the blood of lambs that we remember, but the precious blood of Christ. His body broken for us. And, and we, of course, partake of the bread and the cup 
They ate the Passover meal. It was food for their journey as pilgrims as they headed off to the promised land. My friends, as we gather month by month to remember the Lord's Supper, we are partaking. And as the Anglican prayer book says, we are feeding on Christ by faith. My hope today is that you'll feed on Christ by faith just as you think about the application of the scripture to your life that we are heading off today in that continuing pilgrimage, that journey that God has put us on, blood-bought, redeemed people who are called to rely on Christ by faith for every step of the way. What did the people do? Well, chapter 12, verse 27 says, the people bowed down and worshipped. They heard the plan of what God was going to do for them. They heard about the holiness of God, the God who will put all sin down. They heard about how God had made full provision in the blood of the Lamb, and they bowed down and worshipped. This is what the Exodus is all about. God creating, blood-bought, worshipping people who will obey Him. That is who we are. If you're trusting Christ today, you're a blood-bought worshiper of God to live your life for his praise and glory. That's that's what we're about as a church. We're a community of blood-bought, gospel-centered, God-glorifying people. What joy to be part of the redeemed, forgiven people of God. Let's pray him.